Today, I'm joined by Anders Winroth, Professor of Medieval History and Birgit Baldwin Professor of History at Yale University. He is the author of a wonderful book called The Conversion of Scandinavia, Viking Merchants and Missionaries in the Remaking of Northern Europe. And of course, our topic of discussion today is indeed the conversion of Scandinavia, something which I myself don't know nearly enough about, so I'm very excited to get into our discussion today. Professor Winroth, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Noah. I'm very pleased to be back. Yes, it's uh, certainly very nice to have you back. But my first question for you today is simply this. How did the conversion of Scandinavia happen? How is it that a people who have embraced a pagan religion for hundreds and hundreds of years come to abandon their faith and convert to Christianity? Yeah, that's a very good question, and it's also a very big question. It's the kind of question that one can't really answer in in one breath, as it were. Uh, I'd like to explain it in, in this way, that one can look at the conversion of Scandinavia from two different points of view. On the one hand, one can look at it from Christian Europe, uh, Europe, most of uh, sort of Mediterranean and southern North Sea Europe was already Christian by the beginning of the Viking Age in, in around 800. And from their perspective, the story of the conversion of, of Scandinavia is a, a story of a kind of uh, uh, conquest, a religious conquest, where the soldiers that are sent out into the field is the, are the missionaries that go out to persuade people in Scandinavia to become Christian. This is the point of view that one finds in most of the narrative sources that are preserved from the Middle Ages. These are the sources that tell, say, the, the, the biography of some of these, of these missionaries, such as St. Ansgar of Hamburg or, or St. Rimbert, his successor as Archbishop of Hamburg-Bremen. That's one point of view. And then there is the other point of view that is about uh, looking at the conversion from the perspective of Scandinavians, the perspective of Scandinavia. And there we don't really have any narrative sources. Of course, we have the Icelandic sagas, but they are much later. And the perspective that they embrace is actually the continental perspective, the continental Christian perspective, because they were written by, by Christian people in Iceland in the 12th, 13th, 14th century. But we have some sources from Scandinavia in form of uh, Viking Age poetry and Viking Age runestones. Those are written sources. And then, of course, there's plenty of archaeological sources. And I think uh, the Scandinavian perspective is a more useful perspective to take when one is looking on the conversion, because I am convinced that the conversion of Scandinavia was not about these heroic missionaries persuading people in Scandinavia that it should become Christian, heroic missionaries who were supported, strongly supported by, by the various Christian rulers of Europe, like uh, Emperor Charlemagne and Louis the Pious and, and, and so forth. I'm convinced that, that the conversion of, of Scandinavia is about Scandinavians choosing to become Christian for a whole range of reasons, but and not all of those are, are religious reasons. It's, I say it's about Scandinavians choosing to become Christian. I think it's actually more about Scandinavian chieftains and leaders choosing to become Christian because it suits, 
It suits their religious purposes, to be sure, but it maybe even more suits their political purposes. And that's the argument that I'm trying to to make in this book. So I I still haven't answered your question of why did they convert? Uh, So I'll try to have a go at that now. I think to understand the conversion of Scandinavia, which happened sort of vaguely around the year 1000, uh, one has to understand how Scandinavian society worked around the year 1000. So in the book, I'm trying to look at Scandinavian history during the Viking period uh, from a broad point of view that includes the Viking raids. The Viking raids is the most important thing that happens in Scandinavian history in this period, of course. Uh, And one might wonder, why did they do it? Why did Scandinavians go out and raid in Europe? What what purpose did they aim to fulfill by doing this? And I think it's quite obvious if one looks at, at any kind of sources that they are going out looking for glory and honor, to be sure. Uh, but they, what they really are looking for is wealth. They're looking for silver. They're looking for gold. Uh, they're looking for valuable things. And not only things, but people that can be converted into uh, silver and gold and, and such values. If one starts to look at Scandinavian history in the Viking Age from that perspective, of uh, they wanted wealth, uh, one can start to see that they are trying to get wealth in different ways, not just by raiding, but also by trading. Scandinavia in the Viking Age is sort of somewhat famous for uh, having connected the trading networks of the Arabs, uh, which the Scandinavians in the Viking period uh, connected to in what is today Russia, connecting those networks to the Western European networks that were not necessarily very well connected to each other uh, before. Uh, The reason why they do that is, again, to gain wealth. So one wonders, what did they do with the wealth? Well, they, uh, uh, you know, Scandinavia at this time did not have a money economy. One couldn't take money and go down to the market and buy something. One went down to the market to to barter. Uh, But you could, uh, if you were a chieftain with wealth, you could barter for the loyalty of warriors. You gave your followers, your, the people who were willing to fight on your side, you gave them gifts, uh, very popular gift in, at the time, if one believes uh, the contemporary poetry, Scandinavian poetry from the Viking Age, is uh, arm rings, arm rings made of silver or gold. A lot of those have been found archaeologically as well. Seems that, uh, I mean, it doesn't seem, it's very clear that Scandinavian chieftains distributed uh, these rings uh, to their warriors, and the warriors in return, as a kind of counter gift, gave their loyalty and their warrior prowess, uh, or whatever they were good at. If they were a poet, they gave their poetic prowess uh, and uh, wrote poetry celebrating that particular chieftain. So What I see happening in Scandinavia in the Viking Age is that you have all these chieftains who are looking for things that can help them persuade people to follow them. 
They grab gold and silver from the monasteries of, of Western Europe. They, they earn gold and silver by trading with Arab merchants in, in Russia. But they're also looking for other things they can give their followers. And I argue that religion is one of those things. And it's particularly valuable to be able to give a prestigious religion. And Christianity was a prestigious religion uh, in the Viking Age. So now it's understandable why Scandinavia's wealthy would convert to Christianity. How did the farmers, craftsmen, servants come to embrace this new religion? Was it forced upon them by the chieftains and eventual kings of Scandinavia? Or, or how did the ordinary people come to Christianity? Well, it's, it's sort of a history of both forcing and persuading. Because the chieftain uh, wants to give Christianity as a gift to his followers. And the followers are eager to embrace it because it's a prestigious gift. You're getting the religion of the most powerful people in Europe, the emperors in Germany and the kings in, in England and so forth. They're eager to embrace this. Uh, most people are eager to embrace it. So they uh, uh, want to become Christian also to show themselves as loyal followers of their leaders. But then leaders are doing something that I think is quite shrewd, and that is that they are outlawing uh, pagan religion. Um, and the reason for this is, of course, partially religious. It's part of the, of the Christian message that Christianity has to have monopoly on religion. But part of it is also political, because if you're outlawing uh, other religions than your own, you're essentially saying that, you know, if there's anybody who wants to compete with me as a chieftain, he cannot use the pagan religion as a way of, of uh, connecting people around him. Now, I am curious, how did the Vikings view the Christian god? And how was that different from how they viewed the old gods? Well, I think that at least for starters, uh, they viewed Christ as simply another god. They were used to having a pantheon of gods uh, with several different gods who were good at different things. And it was easy enough to add uh, Christ to, to, to their number. Now, of course, that is something that is not acceptable to the Christian religion. That is one of the, what I think of as the big structural differences between paganism and Christianity is Christianity's very strong insistence on monopoly. You can have no other gods uh, but me, as, as, uh, as it famously says in, in the first commandment. Um, and um, eventually the Vikings, other Scandinavians, got that message. They learned that message. Uh, the missionaries certainly told them about that to the degree that people actually were in contact with missionaries. But otherwise, the, the, the chieftains who embraced this, embraced this religion, uh, were also eager to tell people this uh, for the reason that I, I outlined earlier, that, that they wanted to prevent competing chieftains to collect people around pagan religion. Now, if we look at the conversion of Europe to Christianity in retrospect, you know, it seems as though it's kind of a, I don't know if I'd say a, a rapid process, but in terms of, you know, the uh, late Roman Empire and, you know, especially the Byzantine Empire, it seems as though Christianity spread through those regions at a reasonably quick rate. 
Was Scandinavia among the last portions of Europe to convert? Yes, it was, although there are places in Eastern Europe that were even later. Uh, I mean, the famous last example of conversion is Lithuania, uh, that only converted in the late 14th century. I think Lithuania is actually an example of, uh, 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 it's not a kingdom, I guess, it's, it's a principality where the prince who leads uh, uh, Lithuania is embracing pagan religion uh, in opposition to the, his Christian neighbors. Uh, but so that's sort of Lithuania and the region around there, there is, is really the last Christianized uh, regions of Europe. Uh, of course, Europe were never uh, entirely Christian. There were always people of other faiths living in Europe. But the sort of old-fashioned classical uh, paganism is really gone uh, by, the, by Lithuania converting to Christianity. Earlier, we were discussing conversion of Scandinavia. And you know, what were the, the first steps then? What did that look like? Uh, were these Christian chieftains sending out missionaries to go you know, across the hillside and the valleys and the mountains and, and spread the gospel with the Vikings and the Scandinavian people, or you know, how did how did that look? How did they essentially get the the good news out to the Vikings? Yes, I mean, it's. I really don't think it's a process that that focuses primarily on missionaries. It's portrayed as focusing on missionaries by the narrative sources from Christian Europe in the Middle Ages, because that is how conversion is supposed to work from the point of view of, of Christianity. Uh, I think it's, it's, it's really about, it's actually two processes. On the one hand, you have a very slow process where people, both chieftains and people in general, are embracing facets of uh, Christianity, cultural uh, habits, simply, uh, which is something that happens slowly uh, over a very long time. And then you have the faster process, which is about what one could call the political conversion, when a chieftain decides that, okay, my followers are only going to be Christian, uh, and that goes for everybody in whatever territory he's able to impose his will upon. And that is the beginning of, of the creation of the Scandinavian kingdoms. The slow process of, of uh, sort of piece-by-piece piece Christianization is kind of interesting to look at. Uh, one aspect of it is, for instance, uh, the, the question of whether you are going to uh, cre cremate uh, your dead or inhumate, as it is called, uh, bury them in the, in the soil without burning them first. Christianity in the Middle Ages had a very strong taboo on cremation. Uh, so Christians are supposed to be inhumated, buried uh, in the soil. Uh, it used to be thought that uh, burial that was an inhumation was a Christian and a burial that was a cremation was a pagan. But that is too simplistic a model because the idea that well, it's a good thing to bury people whole in the, in the ground uh, circulated widely outside Christianity. I mean, imagine that you have most of Western Europe inhumating their dead. Uh, 
people are going to notice that traders and Viking raiders are going to notice that people are doing that, but they might bring that idea uh, back to Scandinavia. So we find people abandoning cremation much long before there is any real idea of, of a, a Scandinavian conversion, several centuries before the year 1000. Uh, you see people abandoning uh, cremation in Scandinavia and starting to bury people in the soil instead. Why did Christianity appeal to Europe's wealthy and, and the great rulers of Europe? What was it about Christianity that made it so attractive? Well, I mean, that goes back to the history of the Roman Empire. Uh, of course, as soon as the emperor with Constantine uh, in the first half of the fourth century becomes Christian, Christianity becomes an enormously prestigious religion. You have within a hundred years, you have essentially the entire Roman Christianity, not entire, but almost entire Roman Christianity, uh, Roman aristocracy converts to Christianity. And that, that has repercussions also outside the empire, where uh, the, the chieftains and kings who are living outside the empire are, are embracing the religion of, of what is, after all, the, the powerful political and economic center of Europe, the Roman Empire. It's a kind of cultural imperialism, although that's, that's a rather anachronistic term to, to apply, apply to this period. And I think that is the process that, that continues when Scandinavia is, is converted. Uh, or actually, I would like to change my formulation. I used a passive verb, which is the way that the Scandinavian conversion is portrayed in medieval narrative sources. So-and-so is converted. That is to mean that the, the person who's actually doing the conversion is somebody other than the person converting i.e. a missionary, or in some cases a, a, an already Christian king. As I said, I think Scandinavia chooses to convert, um, and so did, so did these various other rulers in, in, in late antiquity, the, the, say the, the chieftains of, of these Germanic tribes we hear so much about, the Visigoths, the Ostrogoths, uh, the Burgundians, and the Franks, and so forth. They choose to convert because it is the the prestigious religion of the of the center, as it were. Could it be said that Christianity ended the Viking Age? No, not really. It's it's a coincidence, uh, and it's it's not arbitrary coincidence. What ends the Viking Age is is uh, can I say state formation that kingdoms are created in Scandinavia where you start to get powerful kings that don't like people running around with private armies. Uh, that puts an end to the kind of entrepreneurial uh, phase of the Viking Age. At the same time, the kingdoms of Western Europe get better organized and better defended. So there is no longer any point for a ruler from, from Scandinavia to try to go Viking raiding in, in uh, continental Europe or in, in the British Isles because it's too well defended. There, there, there is no longer easy pickings uh, for raiding there. It's really about uh, political history changing at that time. But the conversion happens at the same time as the creation of kingdoms in Scandinavia. Uh, and it's, it's one of the tools that the kings are using to create the kingdoms. Now, obviously, paganism uh, was very uh, deep-rooted in, in Scandinavian 
history, you know, throughout the Viking Age, but even before then. And uh, this isn't necessarily a, a question about conversion per se, but I think it's still uh, we can learn something from it and, and better understand who the Vikings were. I know that the historical evidence for the worship of the Norse gods is extremely limited. And we've talked about this in our last interview that we did, how you know so many people tend to view the Vikings as particularly violent, uh, when in reality, uh, they weren't really any more violent than the other kingdoms of Europe at the time. Right. Would you say that the Norse gods were, you know, sort of gods of violence, you know, gods of war, if you will, you know, Thor with his, his mighty hammer and Odin with his spear? Uh, or, or were the Norse gods perhaps more interested in, in things other than war? Well, they, the different Norse gods have different specialities, and there's no doubt that some of them were very warrior-like gods. I mean, Odin, uh, I'm sure, in particular, uh, as well as Thor, as you say. At the same time, you have this, these other gods that are more associated, say, with the fertility of the land, like Freyr. Uh, although when you start to dig down in things, they, are, they have other aspects to their personalities as, as well. I think it's important to remember when, when we talk about pre-Christian religion in, in the North, that they're actually, to uh, maybe use too uh, strict a formulation, there is actually no religion in the North before Christianity. What I mean is that our ideas today about what is a religion is heavily influenced by Christianity and the way that Christianity thinks about itself. And if we use that definition, uh, the, what we, the cult of the gods in Scandinavia uh, before the conversion is really not a religion in the same sense that Christianity is a religion. It's a more a matter of custom and habit, or custom is a better word, um, than, than an actual religion. And that makes it, it, it makes it hard for us, uh, living in the Western world that has been Christianized for centuries, if not millennia, uh, it's hard for us to wrap our minds around how it worked. But the, the, the very term pagan religion is a kind of contradiction in itself. Yes, because paganism didn't necessarily have a um, established canon as uh, Christianity did, right? Exactly. There's no canon. There, there's no. There's no real system of beliefs in the way that Christianity has, thanks to theologians having tried to work out this system for two thousand years. Um, so, pagan religion is not really a, a religion. You know, the Norse word for uh, uh, the conversion is sidaskiptir, uh, which means change of custom, which is, uh, is something, if you think about it, that implies something very different. And then you can see how, if you're thinking about customs, you can see how customs uh, fit directly into politics in a way that, of course, religion fits into politics as well. but. Uh, it's a different thing to think about the relationship between customs and politics uh, from thinking about the relationship between religion and politics. Yes, that, that's a very interesting way of looking at it. And that's something that I've often uh, spent a great deal of time thinking about. Well, Anders Winroth, thank you so much for joining me again today on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on again. 
And I've very much enjoyed our discussion. And I've uh, really, I can honestly say, learned a lot about the conversion of Scandinavia. I will be sure to put a link to your book, The Conversion of Scandinavia, in the description of this episode. And I hope you all go and uh, pick up a copy. But uh, thank you so much for joining me today, good sir. Thank you, Noah. This was a lot of fun.